0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, in what's colonially known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Today, we're welcoming Eliza Robertson back for the third time on the show. She was here as part of Cosmic Tonic with Jasmine Richardson in 2020 when we were discussing the key transits that would affect the second half of that wild year. And she was here again in 2022 talking about writing with the stars and magic with the muses. Clearly, she's a favorite conversation partner of mine, and I'm delighted that she's the one to shepherd us through the gate. As we begin a seven part mini series on planetary magic and propitiation for the days of the week. Since about the time Eliza first appeared on the show in 2020, I've been taking a closer look at astro magic and paying more attention to cultivating relationships with the planets that rule the days of the week. I paid particular attention in 2022, establishing an altar in my bedroom that pretty much became my, well, became exclusively used, at least for that purpose. And it's the altar that I visit pretty much every day. I have several in my house. I knew I had a bit of tricky astrological weather to navigate at the time of my book publication. So I set about offering devotion, especially to Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, and Venus. So I was quite consistent Tuesday through Friday. I made talismans for each of those planets, so magical um, um, sort of power tools you could think of, or magical objects. And I made offerings on their days. And over time, I've added some of the materia magica from Spear and Sundry, which is an atelier founded by Caitlin Kopuk that makes magical materials at very specific astrologically timed moments to basically like bottle the essence of those influences. And this year, 2023, I have incorporated other micro rituals into what has become basically my standard daily spiritual practice. So a few moments each day in conversation with and appreciation of the planet of the day. I'm not saying I haven't missed days, I've totally, definitely have missed days, Um, but I would say that every day I'm aware what day it is, is a day that I have thanked that planet for overlighting my life path that day. Longtime listeners of the podcast will know that it's been my daily practice for over a decade, I would say, to greet the sun and moon each day, which is like fairly easy to remember to do because their presence and influence is like so obvious, But adding the rest of the planets, one for each day of the week, has also been really easy to do, actually. And, my friends, which devotional spiritual practice is the most effective, more effective than any other devotional spiritual practice? Whichever one you'll actually do. (laughs) So... Let's get things started with Eliza. Eliza is a successful Canadian writer whose work has been praised by the New York Times, the Globe and Mail, and the National Post. Her most recent book is a true crime story called I Got a Name, a story that exposes fractures in a legal system that repeatedly fails to protect women. And in the book, she revives the search for a murderer still at large, likely aided and protected by accomplices... Whose smooth use of southern charm and hospitality and sleight of hand remind us that patriarchy is always afoot and will stop at nothing to protect itself. So, read that book. I Got a Name. If only as a sobering lesson in just trusting your own intuition and following the signs when you see them. I really, I got to the end of that book and I really felt like the wool had been pulled over my eyes when I read the last part and I can only imagine how Eliza felt. So frustrating. Anyway, if you like true crime, you're going to love that book. She's also an astrologer. (laughs) So let's get back to the planets. We're starting this series with the sun. Now, when we talk of planets in astrology, the sun and moon are considered planets. And when we speak of the luminaries, we might need to clarify what we mean by luminaries. So the ancient Greeks sometimes referred to the seven classical planets, sometimes called the seven traditional planets, as the luminaries. So these are the planets visible by the naked eye. However, more commonly in Hellenistic and modern astrology, when we speak of the luminaries, we... Simply mean the sun and the moon, so the two celestial bodies that throw and reflect enough light to create diurnal changes on earth, meaning a shift between day and night. Medieval Western astrologers use the astrology of sect to distinguish between day planets and night planets. The Arabic astrologers had like a different system of sect, but sticking with something a little closer to my heritage and just to describe it briefly, the diurnal sect the daytime planets ruled by the sun that include Jupiter and Saturn. The nocturnal sect were ruled by the moon, and that includes Venus and Mars. Mercury was like kind of ambidextrous in this way, sometimes included in solar, sometimes in the lunar. But sect is a way of describing polarity. And um, maybe I'll ask one of our upcoming guests about that to explain more about that. But anyway, we're starting with the sun because it has such a major influence over our solar system, right? So um, I'm going to try to make sure to slow down and circle back to clarify terms for folks who are newer to astrology. I'm not an astrologer. You do not have to be an astrology buff to enjoy an animistic relationship with the planets. Um, I'm just a person who loves knowing the associations and attributions of the planets to expand my understanding of the nature of the planets and to deepen my relationship with them, um, so I very much start with, you know, Wikipedia, learning about the attributes of the actual rock in space, <laughs> and um, and then I kind of build out from there all the mythology that we have developed, um, and stories we've developed around those planets, and then the astrology. So wherever your interest lies you can just plug right in and you'll see over time we're going to add plants and um, rituals and we're going to talk about all the different ways that you can cultivate a deeper relationship with the planets that rule the days of the week so I hope you'll enjoy this series too let's get started here with Eliza Eliza I'm so happy to have you back but I'm still gonna ask this question what identities do you lead with now
1: I think that my answer to that question is probably the same as the last you asked last time you asked it so um my my lead identities my dominant identities are twofold I'm uh, a writer and I'm an astrologer and um I will also slip which in there but it's not one I tend to lead with it's my midnight identity it's my moonlight identity (laughs) my solar identities while we're on the subject is writer and astrologer
0: (laughs) beautiful I love this lens I'm so excited to have you lead us off in this uh, month of planetary magic and propitiations um When I say it's a month, it's because that's what we're focusing on in the numinous network in uh, one of the courses I offer there, the numinous school. Uh, But you have probably been the most influential uh, person for me personally, in terms of getting very serious about propitiation and um, getting into relationship with the planets. My relationship with the planets is maybe a a little less astrological, if I could say that. I think of it in a very animist way. Like I'm thinking of it as like, yes, these are the celestial bodies. This is what they're doing right now. And I know that's what astrology is about as well. But I've thought of it very much as um, as a person who just like studies the planets and notices what they're doing and, and tries to make associations that way. I think it was when I was uh, selecting dates for submitting my book proposal and for emailing agents and things like that when I was preparing to release um, or bring forth The Spirited Kitchen that you said, well, you know, there are certain dates and times that we could use. You could maybe propitiate Mercury. And we used electional astrology a lot. I did a lot of electional astrology with you for a couple years in the lead up to the launch of the book. Uh, So this feels almost like we're working backwards a little bit, like we're, we're, we've come a long way in, um, in me learning from you about planetary magic. Um, So it feels great to have you start us off in relationship to the sun. So um, given that bigger context, maybe there's more you'd like to flesh out, but please let us know from your perspective, what does the sun represent? In astrology? What does it rule? What does it relate to? Start us off on planetary magic in the sun.
1: Yeah, thank you. First of all, I'm touched that I am one of the people you think of in terms of astrological magic. There are so many, so many incredible practitioners and thinkers out there within that realm. I am by no means towards the top of that list, I would say, but it is very dear to my heart. So I'm glad that it was something I was able to share with you and that it's had legs that you've been continuing and digging deeper into that interest because it is so powerful and it's so meaningful. Um, And one reason why it's so powerful and so meaningful is because sometimes astrology can feel not not always and not when it's done well but sometimes we can feel like passive recipients of the astrology passive Mm -hmm. recipients of our own birth charts but also of what the planets are doing now and the whole raison d'etre of um, astro magic is that you don't have to be a passive recipient you can be a co-creator you can um you can work with the energies and woo the energies and try to charm them (laughs) into working with you or at least mitigating some of the harm so to the sun the sun and I'm so I actually feel quite gleeful (laughs) to talk about the sun it wasn't initially going to be the planet that I was going to talk about with you um but the sun has been the planet that I've worked with the longest i realize for folks listening i'm saying planet that's because astrologers call all of the so-called traditional planets planets including the sun which is not really a planet it's a star and the moon which is a satellite of earth i know this i know this but i'm speaking <laughs> with my astrologer hat on so i'm going to be calling it a planet because that's what the ancients thought of them all <laughs> um so the sun Yes, I was saying that I have a, an extra special relationship with the sun, partly because my in my natal chart, I have Leo rising, and the sun is the, the planet that rules Leo, which means the sun is my chart ruler, which if this is a new concept for folks, your chart ruler is the planet that rules your ascendant, it rules your rising sign, and it was considered to be um, almost like an avatar figure, like a planetary guide or a steers person through your life. And so for me, that is the sun. And I've worked with it with that in mind for a few years now. But um in terms of what it represents, so many things. Um one of the more obvious ones and more traditional ones is that the sun would represent the king. The sun represents this sort of central authority figure. Um what we can ex- extrapolate from that now is any kind of sense of authority, any, any leadership figure, uh, your own inner sense of authority, your own sense of confidence. Um, when you look at Picatrix or um, or uh, Agrippa, Agrippa's books of occult philosophy, which are these two different ma- magical texts, from oh well, I'm I'm not gonna know exactly the the time period but I want to say around the 1400s or 1500s I might be getting that really wrong a long time ago <laughs> um they always recommend solar propitiations if you want to say curry favor from a noble or from someone um someone higher up than you. Today, I think we can extrapolate that to mean like, maybe you're applying for a job and you want a little solar boost. You wanna you want to really impress those people who have more power in that situation. A, a solar working would be really helpful. So we do solar workings for success, for visibility, for confidence. As I mentioned, um, if you wanna, so publishing a book and you want lots of people to hear about it, you would, might work with the sun um but also you know the sun gives life on earth it's not the only thing that does but it's a very crucial thing that does so it also represents vitality and a lot of people work with the sun also for healing and to to boost health so you can you can do it for your you know <laughs> your your very uh i don't want to say superficial but sometimes we just want really basic things mm-hmm. like I want to be famous or I want my book to do well or I want to get a bit more acclaim and the sun can be helpful there or you could you could um, work with the sun to bring healing to yourself or to another person as well. So those are some initial associations, there are a lot more but I want to pause and let you chime in or ask another question.
0: (laughs) Well, I think maybe we've already used some language that some listeners might not know. So um, could you talk a bit about like, what is propitiation? Um, What is electional astrology? What's remedial magic? Like maybe we could give a bit of a glossary, at least of those three concepts, because I would say those are kind of like three things that I think about as Pretty foundational to my astro magic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So propitiation. Let's start with that. Now, I, I'm, I'm gonna be totally upfront. I'm speaking to you with how I work with those words and how I work with those concepts. I don't even know if this is the dictionary definition <laughs> of them, sure. and I'm sorry if I'm veering off anyone's script. But propitiation to me is when you're asking someone or something for something. So that would be one way that we could work with the sun. I would also, so literally saying, um, you know, asking the sun to help you get that job, asking the sun to help you um, get more followers on Instagram, whatever it is. Uh, But there is another way you can have, you can form a relationship with the sun, which is the one I've been working with more on a long-term basis, which is. Simply focusing on relationship building. And so, not just, you know, who I I think multiple astrologers have used this metaphor. One person who comes to mind is Amaya Rourke, as I want to give credit where credit's due, but I'm not sure if she was the uh, originator of it. Um, You want, ideally, you want to steer clear of what. Amaya and some others might call vending machine, (laughs) astro magic. So you Mm -hmm. don't just want to put in your quarter. I don't know what year I think it is. Put in your $2 (laughs) coin or your card and get out, you know, the thing that you want. I mean, that might be effective initially, but I like to think of the planets as beings with whom you build a relationship and you don't just knock on their door when you need something. So Mm -hmm. I if, think of propitiation as
0: making offerings mm-hmm. so I think of it as like oh I'm going to propitiate the sun by putting out like I have these gold sparkly Jordan almonds like wedding almonds you know like yeah and to me and they're like these golden almonds that I love and so it's like that's kind of my like you know nape ultra like my 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 top Notch creme de la creme offering when I'm like, here, here's here's a gift for the sun. and as you say, it's for relationship building so that it's like basically I'm saying in different ways, I love you and you know, this is me mirroring you and your wondrousness back to you and doing that like pretty consistent like I, I mine as a daily practice so I would be doing that pretty much weekly pulling my tarot card out that I have that represents the sun and putting all my yellow and golden things and putting like a pretty orange flower down that sort of thing or like using my orange aromatherapy that day that kind of thing and I think of the propitiation as maybe partly asking for stuff
1: but I think of it mainly as offering stuff
0: acknowledgement is maybe another word that I would be using for that
1: yeah what I what I was getting at so so I think the word propitiate does, I'm. this is where, again, I might be crossing signals or I'm getting confused. I think the word propitiate means to ask for something. But what I'm saying is that can be part of this richer and deeper practice, which is exactly what you're describing, which right. is, um, uh, but I, I might even be wrong about that. But but this wider but practice, practice. Yeah, yeah a, a devotional practice is really, yes. so I would call that devotion or, or yeah, offer, making offerings, relationship building. Um, and that can, as you say, that's a that's a beautiful offering at the gold almonds. I love that. And yes, flowers, solar flowers. So you can think of heliotropes like sunflowers, mm-hmm. which literally follow the sun or marigolds mm-hmm. or anything that evokes the sun for you. Often yellow, orange, even scarlet flowers can be very mm-hmm. um, solar. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this is now uh, such a beautiful time of year, at least in this hemisphere, for picking your own flowers, for picking um, wildflowers. And in in your area, in Victoria, I mean, California poppies (laughs) are everywhere. They were when I was down there a month ago. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yes, they're
0: everywhere. And calendula, Victoria's like Mm. basically most invasive (laughs) flower (laughs) grows up like dandelions through the concrete. Love the calendula.
1: But even that act of picking, going wildflower picking for the sun and choosing these solar flowers and gathering your own bouquet or going into your garden if you have a garden, that to me feels like such a solar act in itself because you're under the sun while you're doing it and then you're Mm -hmm. gathering it for the sun. Um, Lighting incense as well. Incense itself was a a very exclusive and special offering when you think of thousands of years ago it was not cheap to get some frankincense resin or to mm-hmm. or whatever other resin you were using so it was very elite this is just helpful context it was very elite people who were performing astro magic or who were hiring a magician to perform astro magic mm-hmm. in the time period where pikachuks was written or the three books of occult uh, philosophy which as i'm thinking now are not actually the same time periods but here we are um <laughs> history not i'm not a historian never claimed that in my my (laughs) list of identities my brother is and he if he ever listens to this he'd probably roll his eyes at me anyway (laughs) uh so so yes so that that covers that one word uh electional astrology is when we so election just means to choose that's why during an election for the government, we elect, we choose who we want to be representing us. Um, so in electional astrology, instead of looking retrospectively at a chart, we are choosing the chart for a venture that we want to begin. So to send your book to an agent, we would choose the most auspicious chart looking weeks or months in advance, sometimes years in advance to choose the, the this most special alignment of planets. And that itself is an act of magic, in my opinion. So you can do that to do very mundane, meaning worldly things like sending your manuscript off, or sending your job application off, or um, buying a house or putting in an offer for a house, all of these things you could, anything, anything that you want to time, a, a delicate conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> anything that you want to time you could um, elect. But But and when we do astrological magic, we're often using an elected time to then create a talisman or to do this propitiation. We can make it as as simple or as splendid and adorned as we like. Um, If you read some of these ancient texts, they will specify that you wear gold robes or each planet has different specific specifications. Um, But um yes what was the third one
0: the third one was remedial magic
1: Uh uh-huh remed so remediation is related to the above and that's when often it doesn't have to only be for your needle chart but often this is where we encounter it where we maybe we have a planet that's not doing so well in our chart maybe it's in its sign of detriment or fall or maybe it's being squared by Saturn or there's just something going on where that planet feels like it could use a little help we can work with that planet to um to boost its energy you can almost think of it like taking a supplement like if you're taking magnesium to boost your natural <laughs> magnesium supplies maybe you want to work with the sun to boost your natural solar supplies and when it comes to the sun in particular so the sun is one of two traditional planets that can't be retrograde because the the sun, it just can't. (laughs) It doesn't move backward ever from our point of view on Earth. The moon is the other one. And it's because they're not actually planets. Um so you wouldn't ever be remediating that. But one one um thing you might want to remediate with the sun in particular is if you have the sun in one of the so-called hidden houses, especially I would say the 12th house or the eighth house. And it's been, I've noticed with folks who have 12th house sons, that they can be a little more reticent to be seen. They can mm-hmm. be a little more comfortable behind the scenes. And that can be absolutely fine. But sometimes what happens is there's actually a deep yearning to be seen and to be acknowledged and to be recognized. But the the decisions they're making or the or just life, You know, life presents itself in such a way where they're not, they're not receiving that, that positive attention or positive affirmation or acknowledgement. And that can feel, um, of course, really demoralizing. Mm. Um, So I would work with the sun in that way to maybe boost not only the opportunities for visibility, but also our ability to tolerate and work with that visibility. Because especially if you're not used to being visible, can feel very confronting to to suddenly be in the spotlight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the sun, remediating the sun, which could include some of those activities that we've mentioned. It could include reading the hymn, the Orphic hymn to the sun, or your own prayer that you write for the sun. Those could all be... Uh, helpful activities to just, uh, it's like exposure to therapy <laughs> to, right. to get a little more used to being seen or to court some of that energy. So you're more, you're better able to be seen. Okay.
0: What if you are being seen for the like, quote unquote, wrong reasons? <laughs> like what if you are I don't know, you're called out on social media and suddenly you have like this much higher profile, but not for reasons you would want, would you, would you still be working with the sun for that? Or do you think you would be like, oh, I'm going to pull in a different planet. Cause my sun is like too
1: much right now. That's an interesting question. I would want to look at what planets were involved. Mm. So I, as an astrologer, I'm always curious, what transit were you going through when this happened? Mm. Um, because the that might be very revealing if, if for example actually as we're recording this <laughs> last last night and today mars is squaring uranus which is really a transit if there was one and there are others too that that is a transit where the rug gets pulled under you from under you or um i, I think it, it coincides coincides with many natural events as well like wildfire wildfires which You know, we're experiencing in Quebec Montreal had the worst air quality in the world yesterday which is kind of mind-boggling it's normally Mm -hmm. one of the better places to be (laughs) anyway this to say that can manifest in many different ways but there are there it can be illuminating just to see what was happening so you might want to work with an astrologer because that will be indicative therefore with what planet you should be uh, appeasing or toning down or just kind of Working with better. What I would say is, when we are called out, or if that situation happens where we're seen for something we don't want to be seen for, uh, we're probably experiencing shame. And Mm. I think the sun could still be a very helpful ally for finding your confidence and finding your pride again, even in the face of that shame. Mm. But you might want to be working also with Jupiter or Venus or another planet just as a protector as someone to Mm. to safeguard against visibility that you don't want because Mm. one thing i i will say so traditionally jupiter and venus are both called benefic planets they both tend to be seen as helpers the sun is not a benefic it's not a malefic either but i will say (laughs) it can act as a malefic if you if a planet you see this in the sky if a planet draws too close to the sun which venus is in the not yet doing, but will be doing soon. You can no longer see that planet in its own light. And these were, um, these coincided with afflictions for the ancients called being under the beams. And mm-hmm. then if you're really close to the sun, um, it's called combust. It's called a combustion. The only exception is if it's kazimi, if it's right in the heart of the sun, which is considered very powerful, but not necessarily a pleasant experience. It's more like <laughs> a purification. Like the metaphor I always use is, a lighter flame to sterilize the needle if you're 13 and going to pierce your ears or something. <laughs> um, this to say, the sun can be, the sun is life-giving, but we get burnt by it. We get burnt mm-hmm. by it all the time. So it, it's not, it, I think what you're describing is a really interesting scenario to think of because sometimes we think we really want visibility and then we get it and we realize it's not, maybe mm-hmm. that's not the kind of visibility that we wanted.
0: Right. I, when you're describing this, I'm thinking of Icarus flying mm-hmm. too close to the sun and the wax wings melting and just how was his father Daedalus? I can't remember who, but anyway, yeah. just the tragedy of that, that it's like, oh, too much of a good thing. Exactly. And potentially the hubris, there's pride, but then there's hubris. There's anything can be out of out of whack. So how, when you say you've been working with the sun for a long time, Uh what does that mean? What does that look like in maybe a daily or monthly kind of practice? Yeah. I'm I'm
1: going to, I'm going to answer that, but I want to comment on Icarus first, because I, I love that example. And two things come to mind. One, the sun you see in that myth, the sun is extraordinarily magnetic. I mean, literally Mm -hmm the solar system revolves around the sun. There's a great pull <laughs> to keep revolving around this central star. Um, and that, again, relates to what we want to cultivate. Sometimes when we're doing solar magic, we want to cultivate a kind of man- magnetism. And we do want to draw, that's also Venus magic, but we do want to draw positive, ideally positive attention to us. Um, but also what comes to mind is moths or any insect that's drawn to the flame. And you're just like, if you're one of those people, like, which I am, where you kind of empathize with every animal getting killed. You're like, no, just stay away. <laughs> it's not what it's cracked up to be. If you're, um, yeah, if you, I've had this happen with candles, and then insects just errantly wander into the candle flame, and it's like, oh, Oof. I, I'm sorry, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I wish you knew better. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, what does my practice look like? I so (laughs) it might be apparent, um, in how you're releasing these episodes, but every planet has a planetary day. The sun's planetary day is Sunday. Um, and so my practice for the sun, I work with a few planets every week. Uh, the sun is one of them. And so every Sunday I will, it, it can be pretty simple, but at the very minimum, I will light a candle. I'll light some incense I'll read the Orphic hymn to the sun, and I'll meditate. And um, right now, when I meditate, I'm just I'm just meditating. But I used to like to include a visualization, which could start with the candle flame and the flame, you know, being a sister to the sun in a way. It's of the same mm-hmm. material. Uh, it's at least evocative, and just sort of trying to to steady my gaze onto that flame, and then. It, internalize that heat and that warmth and imagining it at my heart center because the heart does also um have a correlation with the sun it's called our solar plexus for a reason this area Mm -hmm. no one else could see what I'm doing but you can (laughs) (laughs) I'm pointing to my chest um and and just visualizing that light and that warmth radiating outwards from from my heart or from my solar plexus and filling the room so that that's a visualization you can work with if it resonates um that's the minimum that I will do if I'm right now away from home and I don't have a bathtub but I used to love taking solar baths
0: Ooh, Ooh, that sounds good what's that
1: (laughs) it's really simple but it sounds it sounds extra magic when you call it a solar bath um (laughs) So this happened, actually, I was making a solar talisman. And one thing I wanted to do it was, a, it was a paper talisman. So your your talismans can be very modest, they don't have to be chiseled onto gold, as some of these ancient texts will recommend. I don't have lots of access to gold, gold personally. <laughs> um, but one thing I wanted to do is steep the paper that I was working with, and solar herbs, just to add extra solar energy. So I was working with I think I was working with chamomile and eyebright, which are both which are both solar herbs or there, there are many others, but I was working with what I had on hand. And I ended up making a very um uh, heady (laughs) concoction in that there was a lot of chamomile compared to water and I let it sit there for a long time not not even fully intentionally I was just doing other things and by the time I came back to it it's sorry for the graphic detail but it really looked like urine it was this deep like dehydrated urine it was a deep (laughs) yellow probably unhealthy urine (laughs) but (laughs) it was perfect for working for dyeing the paper um, soaking the paper and I ended up being left with this solar liquid and i had left it in the sun as well so it was was literally taking in the sun's light if you wanted to you could add a piece of gold jewelry to that and add Mm. that as a a way of kind of um including the actual metal gold also has an association with the sun but what i did with the leftover liquid of which there was quite a lot i just poured it into a bottle and i keep it in my fridge and um I'll just pour some out into a bath water and it still smells fragrant I added a bit of frankincense oil which is frankincense is also Mm -hmm. um linked to the sun and I'll pour that into my bath and it just creates this lovely gold bath water and you can put the actual herbs the actual chamomile herbs or or st john's wort is also very solar um but I'm one of those People where I mean that can be fun at the time, and then you have to clean it up, and I'm like, I'd rather not deal with it. (laughs) I like having this already, (laughs) this already herbed and um, drained,
0: and like concentrated Concentrated. solar liquid.
1: That's the word I'm looking for. Concentrated. Mm -hmm. You could add. I like the idea actually of adding some marigolds. Like actually adding the, the flowers or flower petals that would be extra sumptuous and easier to clean up than loose chamomile her- herbs, but <laughs> um yes, that's my solar bath. So I would do that on a Sunday. You there are planetary hours as well. So even if you don't work with electional astrology, you can still time this for the sun, the sun's hour on the sun's day. Um the app that I use is hours. It's free and you can you have to look at it for your location and it will tell you when a given planetary hour will be. Um honestly, I, I fit it in when I can. I'm not looking at the hour. I, yeah, I can, not as much as I would love to revolve my life around astro astrology and astro magic, I can't. So Mm -hmm. I just do it anytime on the sun's day is good enough for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I do, I, I like the idea of starting my day with my magical practice, but very often what I realize is um, that's when my cognition is like quickest and best. And it's actually the better time for me to be writing or responding to emails or doing admin, anything where I have to be like on the ball. And so then anyway, this year, basically I've given myself a break and been like, you know, I won't really think about my magical practice until the afternoon. Like I'll kind of like work, work, work until whenever I try to pause for lunch. And then sometimes if I kind of have an open afternoon, then I'll go to the app and I'll look at, I think I do the same thing. I just like Google planetary hours. And I think that's the one that comes up and it's free. And, and then I'll be like, Oh, okay. You know, today, Jupiter's hour is four o'clock or something like that. And so then I'll kind of like try to migrate my practice to that time if I can. Um, but I, I generally don't worry too much about it. I try to hit the day and that already feels like a big kind of success if I'm doing my propitiation at the right day, like, perfect, you know, that, that feels like a pretty big, um, offering already, particularly in modern times. And maybe that also really matters that what was, um, what was special and what would charm a planet in the year 1012, maybe (laughs) different from what it is in 2023, you know, it's a lot harder to do certain things. So, um, yeah, I super appreciate that do you have like extra special, like high magic that you would do for the sun? Like, would you say like Midsummer solstice or something like that? You are particularly like, okay, this is my Mac daddy ritual for the sun for this period of time or um, your birthday maybe. Like when would be some like really um, appropriate times for bringing out all the best materia magica for working mm-hmm. with the sun?
1: Yeah, I love that question. So I have a, my, my astro magic practice is separate from my uh, more devotional. Pra- I mean, they, they, I was going to say it's separate from my more devotional practice. That's not always the case. Cause I, I am very devotional towards the sun and t- my astrological magic practice is still very devotional, but I have a completely separate practice that I do. I do keep pretty separate and that involves observing the wheel of the year. So I all, I'm always observing the solstice, but it's not when I'm doing my solo working. Mm. Um, I mean I am, but not in a very different way. I'm mm. it's I'm I'm tapping into a part of myself. I think that's a lot more um intuitive and maybe even more focused on the body. Astro magic can be very cerebral, especially if you do start working with charts and you're electing certain moments. And I like to just observe the subjective experience of the seasons and of the light. And um, and that will still be a very solar practice, but for me, it's separate from my my astro magic practice. I don't know if that distinction mm-hmm. is is clear. But so when I I love the idea of doing solar magic on your birthday, on your solar return. I hadn't thought of that before, but I, I really like that idea and it makes me want to experiment with that. <laughs> um what I will do is. I'll spot when a good solar election is I'm always looking for solar elections and there was a beautiful one this year because the sun is exalted in Aries and during Aries season this year and by the way when someone says sun sign season it just means the sun is in that sign or when Mm -hmm. someone says Aries season it means the sun (laughs) is in the sign of Aries Um, so in Aries season this year Jupiter was also in Aries so this is a lineup that only happens every 12 years or so, so it felt very rare. Jupiter is known as the greater benefic, so it's an extra auspicious time to do solar workings. And there was a, a very special day when the sun was very close to Jupiter, applying to Jupiter in Aries, actually very close to the exalted degree of the sun. There, so there are also exalted degrees, not just signs. And, anyways, it was very special. And so, I did do, I, I did pull out all the shots for that (laughs) in in terms of you know a full altar with full flowers and I think I was wearing gold and I ended up working with the table a table of the sun so the planetary tables is also something that people can google or people can look at in Agrippa it can be a, a way to create a talisman um or just to tune into that energy I almost like to think of it as tuning a radio so what a what a table is it's like depending on the planet, it'll have that number of of squares. So the table of Saturn, for example, Saturn is associated with the number three in this tradition. So it'll have three by three squares with the sun at six. So six by six squares. And all of these numbers are rooted in the Kabbalah and Kabbalic correspondences because magic around that century was very, very leaky with the Kabbalah and with, with other traditions. Um, so this to say, I will pull out all the shots, but it will often be when I've elected a day. It won't necessarily be a wheel of the year day or, or something that happens every year. Um, I very much honor the sun on the solstice, but it almost feels less spoken and less performed and more internal. Mm-hmm. Um, the equinox to the spring equinox is really important for me, partly because that is the beginning of Aries season and living somewhere right now very cold still in Mm -hmm. March I mean I live in Montreal normally and um it feels like a victory to reach (laughs) area season because you know the snow the snow is on its way out it's there will Mm -hmm. still be blizzards there will in the case of this year still be catastrophic ice storms (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the snow is, is 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 losing that bad <laughs> when it comes to airy season. I find as much as I love summer solstice, I can find it bittersweet because I'm like, oh, but now the light is ebbing again. Yeah. Um saying that, I'm right now in Dawson City and for the first time in my life I'm experiencing 24 hour daylight. And I'm actually like I could do I I miss the night. I miss the mm. moon. I haven't seen the moon in a month. I have not seen wow. stars in a month. It's weird. So.
0: Wow. yeah there is that are there certain myths or stories or deities that you like to associate with the sun that people could use as inspiration or to like kind of maybe give it a relatable personality or a narrative that they could relate to
1: mm-hmm. I mean the the archetypes that come to mind there are a few of them. One of them is Apollo, another is Helios, which was more the personification of the sun in the Greek Pantheon, whereas Apollo was the God who ended up being associated with the sun. What I will say is I actually don't love the Greco-Roman treatments of the sun, or at least they're kind of boring. like <laughs> you know, I feel like, um, not boring. let me let me rephrase this. It feels like the man. That's also not a great way. I feel like I'm pissing off the sun right now. But I, think, <laughs> I think there are there is this distinction. I would I and I use this language myself between diurnal thinking and nocturnal thinking, or like someone who one might perceive as more solar versus one someone one might perceive as more nocturnal or lunar. And um, the sun is that person who is you know, successful in all of the ways that we perceive success to be. Like they'll they might be highly visible. They might be a public figure. They might have all of these things going for them on paper. And I would say the moon is more intuitive. It's more um transgressive in certain ways. It's there's a dark obviously there's a darkness uh to the moon or a shadowiness, which which I find quite alluring. And um I think that our lunar and nocturnal capacities can be very undervalued in this society i mean one one obvious example is i would associate the sun with physical health as mentioned but like physiological health going to the doctor things you can see like i've broken my arm please (laughs) fix me (laughs) but (laughs) compare that not that not that western medicine is in in at all of a healthy state on its own um I think there are a lot of problems, but still, compare that and the resources we have there to um, our mental health resources and how under undersupported we are, and how how there's such a lack of funding, such a lack of understanding of what depression is, or mm-hmm. um, or anxiety, or other concerns. So, I I can struggle. I actually don't associate with the greco-roman personifications of the sun as much because to me they represent parts of society that I don't necessarily I might aspire to them in in one more superficial way. I am very achievement oriented and ambitious and that's a very I am very I am a very solar person for better or worse. But I also feel like I want to like the moon is more the moon is more subversive and I want mm. to nurture that side of myself as much. Um Saying that, I think that we can look to other cultures as well. So, the Celtic pantheon has some interesting solar deities. Belinus is one. I don't know lots about, I don't know much about Belinus's stories, but I know that that deity is associated with Beltane um, in the Wheel of the Year. I was also reading about this uh, British goddess Sulis, who is associated with the sun and one of the syncretic. Name she was known under was Sulis Minerva, which just sounds mm. badass, and she was the goddess who presided <laughs> over um, the the hot springs at Bath. Um, mm. But it, what it says there is, if you look up who Sulis was, she was like the, the goddess of um, healing, hot springs, and curses. <laughs> I just love oh, that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I trust the Celts, and maybe most most. Pantheons aside from the Greco-Roman pantheons to like combine those things, <laughs> and you would have like people would leave these, um, what do you call them? Tablets at the mm-hmm. springs, like listing the curses that they had for other people. <laughs> There's one that's like, so and so stole my gloves. I'd like you to take away his vision. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. It's- Quite yeah, yet. what do you think of when
0: you think of gender in the sun? Because I know that some cultures mm-hmm. think of the sun as um, more of a, like, coded masculine and the moon as coded feminine, whereas mm-hmm. others, like in the Norse pantheon, we have Sunna, who's a, mm-hmm. a solar deity of healing. Um, and and yeah, I think it's in the German pantheon, same kind of thing where solar deities are often women and the moon was coded as masculine so i do you relate to the sun with a particular gender consciously or unconsciously maybe
1: yeah i mean i'll say i'm all for querying the planets so i'm all for just using whatever pronouns resonates for you i love i love actually using she pronouns for saturn and like and mm-hmm. resonating with saturn as a feminine force i think that's actually I think that that can help us befriend Saturn in some ways because mm-hmm. otherwise Saturn could be very, can be even more austere. But if you perceive Saturn as this powerful crone figure, I just I I like Saturn more in that form <laughs> rather than this crusty old man that we also think of Saturn as. Right for the sun, um, I'm not saying this is my recommendation, but I do I think I do subconsciously absorb some of the more masculine coding, um, as. And also in terms of it representing the father in some ways hmm. but it could also be the parent that you perceive ah, this is where it gets really tricky i i because i think that i i mean parents themselves i don't think it even makes sense to describe parents roles as being masculine or feminine necessarily anymore i think that there's so much blurring which is healthy (laughs) I feel like the Mm. more blurred the better Um, when I'm writing about the planets I'm just used to now doing what we do at Chani which is describing them all as it and not Mm. favoring one or the other or you could say them I guess what I'm saying is subconsciously I think I've absorbed the masculine coding but I think whatever people want to use they should use Mm -hmm. I like the idea of the sun being a feminine presence
0: Yeah, I I can really see both. And maybe it depends on what kind of working I'm doing. Because of course, you know, if we think of warmth, I think of like Brigid as both, um, you know, a bardic deity, which is very much about like being seen and um, commanding an audience. Also, uh, she was the goddess of smithy smithery so like blacksmithing and working with fire and the hearth and also healing so there's Mm -hmm. like a kind of fierceness but also a warmth there that I think you know so when I think of solar deities I actually very often think of Bridget as one Mm -hmm. I also think of Anya who's Irish Mm -hmm. who um has that creative kind of effusive solar energy mm-hmm. to me, but then I do, I, I also kind of have subconsciously, I think, absorbed like Lou um, and who's the namesake of Lunasa, which mm-hmm. is very oriented towards like prowess and competence and excellence and the will towards, um, yeah, excellence in craft and in performance that seems very solar to me as well. Though when I'm when I'm doing my propitiations on Sundays, um, I use my, my daily deck for tarot is the mythic tarot, uh, by Juliet Sharman Burke and Liz green. So it's really nice to have these sort of psychological astrologers mm. who worked with the, um, the Greek pantheon. And so I really appreciate the image of Apollo on Sundays representing again, like the will towards consciousness and excellence and, you know, in intellect and, um, you know, performance of not only excellence, but also beauty and radiance and the radiance that comes from knowing who you really are, um, self-knowledge. I, I I, appreciate that too. So I think I try to be as encompassing as possible when I think about the sun and um, the, the deities just to make sure that I have like a nice mix in there. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thank you for naming Bridget. I actually, Bridges is one of the first I know I didn't name her but it's also one of the first deities that I think of when I think of the sun but that's almost been actually what you've said is very affirming because I've almost wondered if I've just made it so in my mind or I because I so associate her with the sun but then I wasn't sure if other people did too and so I didn't I actually went through a process when I was preparing for this where I was like I don't know if technically she counts but I associate her with the sun anyway what you've said is <laughs> a funny <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> that's great
0: I also think of Hestia as well because mm-hmm. I think pretty much any fire deity is gonna come under solar influence obviously like to me it seemed like you said yeah. so nicely like the candle is the sister to the sun and so um definitely Hestia because I was born under the asteroid Vesta that seems like really important to me to um, have moments of acknowledgement. And so I think of w- whenever I'm propitiating Hestia, which is like whenever I wash my stove top, you know, like clean it, of <laughs> oils, and I'll take like a little bit of olive oil on my finger and just kind of smear it as like a little offering to Hestia before I cook again. And I think of that as a solar propitiation, which I sometimes that's my sort of backup. If I haven't had a chance to draw my cards or anything like that, then whenever it comes time for me to eat something, if I'm like using the oven or just anything, I'll just think of like smearing a little bit of olive oil on the cooktop as my first offering to Hestia. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other that. deities that would
1: go. I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start doing that in fact. Nice. Well, in I mean, the again the pantheon that really that, that really focuses on the sun that comes to mind though i haven't mentioned it yet is the egyptian mm-hmm. pantheon and there you have ra but what's what's really interesting is what what i've noticed across cultures is there can be an association with the sun and the eye and mm-hmm. um, so in in the egyptian pantheon you have the eye of ra and actually that was seen to be a feminine counterpart counterpart or even consort to Ra and often taking the form of Hathor or Sekhmet or Bastet or others um but I think recognized as being just as powerful but it was this um the eye of Ra like which sounds itself <laughs> quite uh daunting and, and intimidating magical in some ways. Yeah. yeah but you see that too with the Greco-Roman tradition where you have in the Orphic hymn to the sun, it will, it invokes the eye a few times. It's, it actually begins, I have it up here. It begins, um, here golden Titan whose eternal eye with matchless sight illumines all the sky. So there's this correlation of the sun and sight, obviously, because with, with the sun, we, things are elucidated. We, we can see things with our eyes. Um, the sun also, in terms of body parts, rules the right eye traditionally, whereas mm. the moon rules the left eye. Mm. And actually, I mentioned Sulis before, the British um, goddess of the bath spring. That word is actually cognate with a Celtic word that means eye, too. So across oh. all of these very different traditions, there's this association with the sun and and the eye, or an eye. And you can see that in the sky. I can see how it would have this oracular quality to it that, that, but, uh, you know, not, not an unintimidating one, this eye burning into you in some ways. Well, and when you look up, if you were to
0: catch a glimpse of the sun and then you close your eyes, you know, you can like see the solar ring kind of thing in your eye, it kind of is like burned into your vision, right? It must also carry it, it does carry those kinds of like um, inescapable qualities like even when the sun goes away we miss it because the coolness comes and then yeah. we're like yearning for the for the morning time to come it does it it, it has such immensity and it's so important that I mm-hmm. can see it being both like um, a warmth and a security And feeling reassured by the illumination, we can see what's happening, whereas at nighttime, you know, the shadows Mm -hmm. can conceal all kinds of dangers, but at the same time, it can be so scorching. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's no maybe privacy or there's no escape that can seem, I imagine. I'm thinking of like the ancient psyche of Mm -hmm. how important and how, how pervasive the sun is and and just yeah that you would you definitely wouldn't take it for granted
1: no no especially for for cultures or societies dependent on farming and on Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, using the sun to cultivate their food what but what you said reminded me of something one practice that I really like and resonate with is finding a way to identify with the sun or resonate with the sun and it's four stations so imagining the solar quality being different at sunrise versus noon versus sunset versus midnight and even perhaps imagining a different deity for each of those or a different face of that deity for each of those and you might find that there's one that you resonate with more i think the midnight sun not here because the midnight (laughs) sun literally is still almost a noon sun somewhere else but um, when you imagine the sun and where it is at midnight it's not gone it hasn't left we just can't see it so what does it mean to have this force of light and life and strength that we can't see but we know it's still burning just under the earth or just um away far enough away from the horizon that it's not filling our sky with light but there's still a presence there and there might be a way a more introverted um sun you could say i i, I can really resonate with that sometimes or with the sun at sunset or the sun at sunrise, which has this, you know, bursting quality a more youthful quality. The sun at sunset has this more elder quality. and has a wisdom to it. The high noon sun is, is the CEO of all the suns. It's the more Apollonian <laughs> one, I would say. I um, but I think we can read different character traits into the sun, depending on where it is in the chart. And you can do this in your birth chart if you know what time of day you were born, depending on this season. Do you have your sun at the very top of the chart? Like at the high noon of the chart, or were you, were you born at night? Were you a night baby? In which case you might actually, you might resonate with your moon more, or you might resonate with a quieter version of the sun. So I think that's, that could be another way we build relationship with it.
0: Mm. So you've mentioned some colors and some herbs. We've talked about some myths and deities. Are there, Other associations or maybe resources for associations with the sun that you think would be good for people to investigate?
1: Yeah, I do think a few a few of the texts that I've mentioned, if people want to get into astro magic, I recommend getting a copy of the Pikachu so getting a copy of Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy. And that will go planet by planet, very detailed, more detailed than you want. (laughs) (laughs) breakdown of what each of their characteristics are and how to how to woo them um another practice that comes to mind from another tradition and I also want to be mindful of um mixing and matching and appropriation and all of these other things but I do think cultures all around the world have honored the sun for very good reason and there is something meaningful in doing in doing these other practices but one of the ones that comes to mind is you know sun salutations you can do like that that movement for for you know i don't know how many centuries or millennia has been a sort of bodily propitiation to the sun or a bodily honoring of the sun there's something also about that about being prostate like being like lying Mm -hmm. on the ground that's very humble Um, and also very close to the earth it can be very grounding but there's something about a a movement practice that leads you to 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 be in such a position of um really devotion towards this Mm -hmm. greater entity or or a greater entity or unentity at least whether you perceive them as greater or not or just part of you the divine part of you this to say um i have i have also done that like a you know on the day of equinox trying to do a certain number of sun salutations or uh, and making that a sacrifice or an offering on its own so i think i think there are so many ways that you can engage with with that archetype in particular probably more so than most other planets because it's one of the ones that's so obvious Mm um Mm -hmm. does that answer your question yeah
0: for sure. And I would say for those of us who don't feel comfortable with yoga or doing those kinds of things, I the it the salutation or the like greeting of the sun and the moon are important to both my husband and I as just a thing we will do out in the world. and maybe the sacrifice is with my dignity. I don't know because it might look weird to my neighbors or whoever when I like go outside my door and I see the sun, I kiss my palm and I put my palm up as though I'm saying hello to the sun. And that actually does come from there are um like ancient uh Greek statues. Mm. Oh, maybe it was Roman. Well anyway, ancient statues in the Greco-Roman world that would um face east or um sometimes west, but they would like have their hands up as though they were waving and they would all be sort of directionally oriented to where the sun would be seen. And uh, I find it very touching and tender to go like, mm. oh, hello, sun, hello, moon, by kissing my palm and, um, and waving. So you literally can just greet the sun, mm. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. even just like, good morning out of your Eastern window and like, you know, enjoy your coffee, just looking at the sun coming across the city or wherever you are, you know, I think that's a really um, very personal Mm -hmm. moment that you can have with such a like you know vast celestial luminary I think it's a really nice personal thing to do you Mm -hmm. know Mm. just
1: noticing and it sounds so obvious but I think we live in a in a society that can be so divorced from these simple natural cues just noticing what side of the city or what side of the land does the sun come up on knowing that that's east where does it go down and that might that might be obvious for some people but if you're traveling at least if you're me with my sense of direction it's not necessarily obvious Mm -hmm. and again especially here in Dawson where I'm mostly experiencing the sun overhead or vaguely (laughs) west and overhead but still (laughs) very high and I had the experience this morning where I, I am actually trying to um because of there's, the sun does not go away, I have to be very careful about my sleep. And I'm mm. being very intentional about looking at the sun in the morning or looking at getting daylight early in the morning to cue my circadian rhythm to then help me fall asleep when it's time to fall asleep. Because right. it will still look like it's 2 p.m. outside. Um, but I, w- I got up this morning around 6.30 or 7 and just looked for the sun. And I could it wasn't actually it was very bright outside it looked like it could have been 2 p.m outside but the sun hadn't risen over the hills yet it was just mm. starting to come up um I'm not quite at the arctic circle I think at the arctic circle or further north it's not actually going down but it was baffling to me where I was like you were over there this whole time and now I don't see you like now you're climbing up from there where did you go and I was sleeping obviously but it was still weird because this The sun's moving so slowly when it's daylight because it's taking forever to go down. And then in the nighttime, which I think here is between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. or something, it just (laughs) spins underground. (laughs) This is my subjective experience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the last question I
0: want to ask you is once again about grief and rage, but What I would like to know is, do you think the sun can support us in our grief and our rage?
1: Yes, definitely, (laughs) definitely. So it's funny, as I was thinking about this, the back of my mind, when you suggested we might talk about this. And one of the ways that now seems very obvious to me is this might sound, um, graphic or maybe macabre to some people but literally how we dispose of bodies sometimes is involving fire it's involved it can Mm -hmm. be involving cremation but how can we work with that in our own lives I think the act of burning something is very cathartic Mm -hmm. so if you're angry writing an angry letter and you know burning it in a bonfire or or letters you no longer want or you know, papers you no longer want and burning those in a bonfire. I think that can be very, um, such a release, such a psychological and emotional release and very purifying. Um, I think also we can work with fire, not purely as a destroyer (laughs) and a purifier, but as a source of warmth and of comfort, Mm. there is something for me very comforting about a candle flame. So having like lighting a candle lighting a candle or multiple candles at night or if you if you're lucky enough to have a fireplace or a fire pit outside gathering around I think that can be a way to a more soothing and gentler way to work with your grief or your rage um also the sun is so uplifting and literally it comes up every morning like it's (laughs) it's it's never well again depending on where you're located and what time of year it is but more or less it it is it is reliably cyclical and it reliably returns and there is something very hopeful about that and I think when we can be in pits of despair something like that can can maybe keep us tethered to the idea that there will be another day and that this situation is temporary and that these feelings are temporary so I think that I think that the sun could be a very um it can be a buoy for us
0: in, in mm-hmm. times of
1: grief and of rage.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I think about candles at vigils as a way mm-hmm. of like keeping vigil and keeping the ember of somebody's spirit, alight. you know, yeah. that's a beautiful way of thinking of that. And it's true. Like, yeah, for us, the sun has a pretty quick cycle, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like a daily or an annual. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's probably a pretty good metric for like this too shall pass. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you so much, Eliza. I as I said, you've been totally like a, a primary influence for me in going deeper into this. You also have recommended um really great astro magicians. And this is how I came to know about sphere and sundry. And um the astro magic and the the ephemera available i don't know if that's the right word but like the materia magica Mm -hmm. that you can get there and i'll I'll link to them because um yeah it's there's a lot of information on their website as well but you you've always just been a wealth of information and support and it's a delight to be able to share this with everybody and thank you for kicking off our our month of planetary magic
1: Thank you. It is my pleasure and my honor to be here. And it's just such a delight to to spend an hour or two talking about the sun with you. So thank you so much for thinking of me. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so to clarify, Merriam-Webster defines propitiation as the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone uh, or something. So the act of propitiation is related to appeasement or sacrifice to propitiate the gods. So it could be asking, but it sounds like there's definitely a sacrifice or an offering part of it as well. So, um... So, so there you have it. I looked it up also, uh, in the show notes for today's episode, you'll find a link to the Picatrix, which was uh, published in 1250 based on a, a lost Arabic manuscript, which may have been from around 1000. And then the three books of occult philosophy, there's two different versions we'll offer, um, links to kind of the cheaper one as well as the splurge option of the hardcover three-book slipcase set. Uh, the Three Books of Occult Philosophy by Agrippa were originally published in 1531. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Eliza's new book, I Got a Name, seeks to bring justice to a woman named Crystal Sinek, who was murdered by her best friend's abusive partner um, after she helped her friend get into a transition house. It was riveting. I read it in two sittings. It's based in the Yukon. Uh, Congratulations to Eliza on her excellent and very respectful retelling of Crystal's story. I also really appreciated all the mystical and magical elements that appear throughout the book as well. We didn't talk about that in this episode, but I just want to mention that it's um, the magic is afoot there. So I'd love to see that magic continue with people reading the book and talking about it. As always, a listener shout out. I want to offer a big thank you and acknowledgement recognition to someone named Megan who left a review for my book, The Spirited Kitchen, on Goodreads. Megan gave it five stars and wrote, This book is incredible. It is visually stunning and bursting with magic. I've been waiting for a book like this for years. The recipes are the kind you'll be so proud to serve to all the people you love the most. This is so much more than a cookbook. It is an invitation to connect deeply to the seasons and the natural world and create something beautiful and nourishing to honor that bond. This book will be an instant classic. Be sure to savor every page. Megan! Let's... Oh, yeah, that was... Beautiful, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who's offered a review. Please uh, go and review if you've read my book. I'd love to hear. I I totally do read them again and again. <laughs> if you want to go a bit deeper in your relationship with the planets, come hang out with us in the Numinous Network. Our focus in the Numinous School in July is Astro Magic, and in August it's connecting with and working with plants. I was talking in a tutorial recently about the four pillars of a spiritual life, and those four pillars are study, mentorship, a practice, and a community to practice with. And you'll find all four of those things available to you in the Numinous Network, where we have on-demand video courses, as well as live events that cross-pollinate science, spirituality, somatic healing, and trauma recovery. We'd love to support you on your journey. You can learn more at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.